Well, when's the last time you've been schooled? We are uh, we're starting a new series today called Schooled. In fact, how many of you have kids that are getting ready to go back to school and you're excited? Raise your hand. Keep your hand up and say, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that the kids are going back. Well, I want to start off today by asking you a question. And the question is this. Do you have any irrational fears that you for sure be embarrassed if anyone know, knew about them? And irrational fears, just things that you are irrationally afraid of, it makes no sense whatsoever, and no one really knows about those irrational fears. Well, today's going to be a very cathartic day because we are going to get these irrational fears out into the open. Lean to the person next to you and share quickly an irrational fear that you have. Go really fast. You're not sharing. Your rational fear is sharing in church. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Let me go ahead and I'll share mine. Okay, here are my irrational fears. I, I, I have a number of them. Um, and uh, hands down, my first one is a fear of getting a shot. Okay? Uh, when I was a little kid, uh, that's basically how I would react to getting a shot. Raise your hand if you have a fear of getting a shot. Raise your hand. Come on. I see, like a televangelist, I see that hand, bless you, I see those hands, yes, I see that hand, that sort of thing. Um, I, I love this video of a woman who was recording her husband, who obviously has a fear of needles getting a shot. Take a look at this. So at the end of the day, whatever happens, happens. No, just calm down. Okay. What you do for a living? What you do for a living? Hold on, time out. I used to be like that. Now I just, I hype myself up. You know, I'm breathing. I'm focused. It is, it is terrible. I'll never forget my youngest uh, child when she was a toddler. She just started staring at the needle. Like she would get a shot and she would stare. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Now, for those of you who've been around a while, you know that I have a fear of throwing up. I get nauseous and I start bargaining with God. Oh, Jesus. Lord Jesus, if you help me not throw up, I swear I'm going to become a monk in India. I mean, does anybody have a fear of throwing up? Raise your hand. Come on. Let me see the hands. There I know. Yes. Yes. I see the hands. What is, you guys have it all together over here, right? Is that it? I found out that this is actually a thing. My fear of throwing up is a thing. It's called emetophobia. A phobia that causes overwhelming, intense anxiety related to vomiting. So, Terry, wherever you are, our group's pastor, you need to start a group for all of us who have emetophobia. Now, listen, you know when you go on a roller coaster and you're apprehensive and that sort of thing, but there's always a shot like near the scary part of the roller coaster where they snap a picture. And then when you get off the roller coaster, you cut your breath and you walk away and there's a shack right there where they have your photo up on the screen where you can order it. I love this photo right here. Take a look at this. That one right there. 
<laughs> best, best photo ever. Hold on now. Hold on now. Look at the guy behind him. Totally sad. That is hands down. If, if I went to hell, that would be it. I would get on that ride every day. I'm going to vomit. And then I would get in the second seat. I would get vomited on. Anyway, all right. I have a few more. It gets better. I have a few more irrational fears. Here we go. Another one is my fear of letting my feet hang over the bed. Raise your hand. Am I the only one? Come on, people. Thank you. I see these hands. I see, it's manly. Admit it. Admit you hate that happening. Listen, there was actually a study done that showed that 87% of the people in the United States were afraid to leave their feet uncovered at night. An actual study. They gathered five males and five females from every state for a 30-day sleep experiment. Dr. Jason Harper, who, con who uh, conducted the experiment afterwards, said this. He said 87% of the test subjects that had, or had the subconscious and overwhelming feeling that some mysterious being, a.k.a. the boogeyman, would come along and grab their uncovered feet as they tried to sleep. That means for the 13% of you, the 13% of you who don't believe that this is a thing, suck on that. This... The, the, the fact that this study was conducted by the National Association of Sleep, Comfort, and Coziness does not detract from the findings. It's science, people. It's science. All right? Now, my last irrational fear started when I was an adult, okay? And that is my fear of sharks. Raise your hand. Come on. There's got to be some people. God, I got someone. Finally, fear of sharks. Let me see your hands. Bless you. I see it. We're going to start a group. Listen, I have this rule about going under the water in the ocean. I will never go in water above my waist. Am I the only one? Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I will not go in water above my waist because the moment I do, a shark's going to eat me. Doesn't matter. A shark is going to eat me. Now, this is a real picture of a German model who was standing in the surf as this guy came along. Safe distance, another 10 feet, she would have been eaten, okay? That's the rule. Now listen, I have a question. Does a fear of sharks even qualify as an irrational fear? Is it really irrational to fear getting eaten by a shark? I say nay, nay. According to the International Shark Attack File, which is the world's only scientifically documented comprehensive database of all known shark attacks. Here's the world map of shark attacks up to the present day. Look at this. The larger the dot, the more the attacks. Look at the map. Everybody says, oh, Australia, South Africa. No. Look at the map, people. I don't think I'm being irrational in this. Now, here's how the nothing above the waist rule started for me. When we lived in Clearwater, Florida, I became friends with a guy who was a Coast Guard helicopter pilot stationed in Clearwater. His job was to go up and down the coast from St. Petersburg all the way up and down the coast, fly close to the shore, and monitor the beach and about um, a quarter of a mile off the shore. So basic, around basically the beach area. 
I'll never forget asking him if he ever saw sharks from the helicopter. He looked at me with a straight face and said, if you could see what I see as I patrol the coast every day, you would never go in the water again, ever. He said, listen, when you're in the ocean, you are never more than 100 yards from a large shark. I said, do you and your family ever go swimming? Here's what he said, never. (laughs) We never go swimming in the ocean, ever. I said, that's all I needed to hear, I'm good. I'm good. Hey, babe, come on in the ocean. The water's great. No, I'm good right here in the chair. I'm good right here in the chair. Now, a lot of you are like, thanks for ruining the shore for me. You're like, I'm going to go on vacation next summer in the middle of the continent somewhere, in the middle of the Midwest where there's no large oceanic body of water. Not so fast. Not so fast. I don't know if you heard about this, but last month researchers discovered something outside Indianapolis that scientists are calling the shores, okay? (laughs) So there is no safe place from the sharks. Is that the stupidest picture ever? That is the stupidest picture ever. Here's the thing about fears. The scary thing isn't the irrational fears that we have. That's not the scary thing. The truly scary thing is that there are things that we should be scared of but aren't. The truly scary thing is that there are things that we should be scared of, but we aren't. 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul, one of the first followers of Jesus and the leader, one of the key leaders in the early church, he wrote a letter to Christians in the ancient city of Ephesus. It was a major, major city in the Mediterranean world at that time. And there was a number of Jesus followers there meeting in homes and encouraging one another, reaching out to their neighbors. And it was a very um, hostile place to Christianity. The Apostle Paul himself, for instance, was brought into the amphitheater and about lynched right there in the middle of the amphitheater because of uh, the um, people that believed in Artemis, uh, um, one one of the gods, essentially, that Paul was bad for business. Great as Artemis of the Ephesians, they chanted as they were trying to determine whether or not they were going to kill Paul right on the spot. Well, Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, and he talked about how Jesus had already and would continue to sustain them and to make profound changes in their lives. He gave specific instructions about things like getting a handle on your anger and truth-telling and working hard at your job and not slandering other people, and being kind and compassionate to one another, especially to our spouses, to those we're dating, to our kids, to our neighbors, and to our friends. All of these, anyone would say, now that's great advice. Except at the very end of the letter, the Apostle Paul said this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God 
so that when the day of evil comes, you may be, able to, may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and keep praying for all the Lord's people. Now, for those of you who aren't bought into Christianity yet, which is always on Sunday morning, about 20% of the folks who are with us, those of you who aren't Christians yet, and you're sort of here, you're checking things out, maybe someone, you know, encourage you to come with them uh, to church, and you're just sort of here, kind of like as a favor to them, I just want to say, we were all where you are right now a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago, however long ago, we've been where you've been. And we know that when you hear a passage like that, your immediate skeptic light goes off in your head. We know that, you know, believing in Satan is like medieval. Like, believing in Satan for you is like believing in Bigfoot, which, surprisingly, some people don't believe in Bigfoot. (laughs) Even though there's incredible research out there. I thought I would share with you that next week in Kennewick, Washington, is the International Bigfoot Conference and Film Festival. Don't believe in Bigfoot? You need to go and learn about Sasquatch there. Your scientific mind will be cured, especially look at these robust speakers that are the headline speakers at the conference right here. That right there ought to assure that you're going to get some good scientific knowledge there. Anyway... For the 30, I I am not making fun of country music. I am not, uh, country music, that makes fun of itself. You just, it just makes fun of itself. Here we go. For the 32% of you that the latest Gallup poll said, don't believe in a literal devil, just consider what I'm about to say, the actions of a hostile Darwinian universe. Because whether you think it comes from Satan or not, man, you need to be aware of what we're about to talk about. Our kids need to understand this passage. We need to understand what is taught in this passage and how it affects our relationships, how it affects our well-being, how it affects our mind, how it affects our hearts. Now listen, when the Apostle Paul talked about the key leaders of the early church, the apostles, he said this, speaking to that group, he said this, we are not unaware of his, meaning Satan's, schemes. We're not unaware of his schemes. And that was true because people were taught directly by Jesus. There was a fervency there. But here now, when we find ourselves in the 21st century, I find that myself and virtually every Christian I meet is completely, utterly unaware of Satan's schemes. Like, do you know his strategy? Do you know how he's trying to attack you and go after your life and essentially ruin your life? How is he going to go about doing that? Those schemes, that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Ephesians, the sixth chapter. So he starts out by saying this. 
finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And the point that he's saying is that Satan is a spiritual being. He's one of, um, he's an archangel, a leader of angels. Uh, help me out with the archangels. There's Michael, okay, Gabriel, uh, in Old Testament, uh, intertestamental literature, Raphael was an archangel, and Satan is believed to have been one of the four archangels that defected against God, cast out, and now has been antagonizing God by attacking his people and trying to thwart his plans. The point is, is that you are not going to be able to stand up to a spiritual being like that, that in um, biblical literature, whenever someone encountered an angel, they fell on their face, lost control of their bowels, and began worshiping the angel. And the angel's like, stand up. Come on. I'm but a servant just like you. That's how fearful these beings are. And the point is, there are a lot of battles that people in this room are facing and going through, and you are trying to use the latest psychological, emotional, intellectual, and social insight to deal with that problem, and it is a spiritual problem that is not going to be solved or vanquished with a human approach. So the Apostle Paul says, listen, when it comes to that, when it comes to spiritual beings, you have to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand, stand against the devil's schemes. And it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I want you in your Bibles or just in your, make a mental note of it, struggle comes from a Greek word that only occurs one time in the New Testament, and it's right here. And it's referring to first century wrestling. We're in a first century wrestling match. It's not like, I don't know how many of you used to be wrestlers or your, your kids are wrestling today. You know, where, um, you know, they have the headgear on and a mouthpiece, and it's only uh, for a certain amount of time, and the referee's going around, and, you know, come on, break it up, that sort of thing. You'll get penalized if you make a wrong move. First century wrestling that's being described here today is you're essentially fighting till you get your hand on the throat, literally, of your opponent, and you're going to make the decision, am I going to crush their esophagus and kill them, or am I going to let them tap out and go? There are some people here right now, you feel metaphorically Satan's hand on your throat. And the reason the Apostle Paul writes this passage is he wants you to flip him over and put your hand on his throat. But you don't know how to do that because you don't know about the full armor of God yet. You're not living in that. And so the Apostle Paul lists four unseen opponents of the dark side, rulers, authorities, powers, and spiritual forces of evil. Now listen, there are some New Testament scholars who try to create this complex understanding of the dark world where the rulers and authorities and powers and spiritual forces and this and the hierarchy and what they can do and their power and that sort of thing. And the reality is it's all hypothetical. Here's what we know for certain about the dark side. There are a lot of them. They are organized, and they are coming after you and your family. That's what we know, and that's really 
all we need to know. They're organized. There are a lot of them, and they're coming after you and your family. Now, there are a couple things that I want you to take away from this passage, particularly the ones that are the, the found that are in verse 13. It says this, put on the full armor of God so that, and I want you to underline this in your mind or in your Bibles, when the day of evil comes. What is the day of evil? What exactly is the day of evil? Some scholars think the day of evil refers to persecution. The Apostle Paul was writing this from a prison. He describes, I am writing this letter as an ambassador in chains. Please pray for me that, I, that the words may be given to me, that I may fearlessly make known the gospel that has been given to me. I don't think that's what he's referring to. Could be for Paul. That was a little high right there, wasn't it? Could be. Could be. <laughs> If I, at lunch today, if lunch today, I usually, my daughters will jump all over. Remember, Dad, when you went, could be, right? Okay, all right. That could be Satan. It could be. It could be Satan making me do that. When it says, when the day of evil comes, I think the best way to understand this is to go back to the life of Jesus. Now, in the, gosp- in the Gospel of Luke, for those of you who are new to Christianity, there are four mini biographies of Jesus that contain what he did and what he said Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke is the author of a combined document called Luke-Acts. The Gospel of Luke and Acts, one continuous document. Printed or written out on two really long scrolls. In Luke's Gospel, he describes an event where Jesus went toe-to-toe with Satan. Where he's tempted by Satan and overcame him. But we typically, what we do when we read the story is we completely gloss over one of the key points of the story. Take a look at it. It says, Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, the Judean wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And you know the story. Satan comes after Jesus with three temptations right? What were they? What were they? Root for the giants. Root for, no. Three major temptations he comes after him. And at the end of these temptations, after Jesus victoriously pushed back Satan, took his stand against Satan, it says this, when the devil had finished all this tempting, look at this, he left him until an opportune time. In other words, I'm coming back for you. You won this time, but I'm coming back for you. You defeated me, but I'm going to go and lick my wounds, and I'm going to marshal my resources, and I'm going to come back with a counterattack that is even stronger. There has been, in the spiritual world, for you and your kids and your loved ones, a strategy for when they're going to bring about the day of evil, the direct, the direct counterattack. Some of you are going through that right now. Some of you are feeling that. Now, temptation is interesting in the Bible. We miss this. The word for temptation in the New Testament most often refers to both being tempted by Satan and by uh, experiencing a trial Okay, so when James chapter 1, not, or, um, 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 
Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. That's the same word that is often used in the New Testament for temptation. Trial and temptations oftentimes are the same thing. And so when you undergo a period of temptation like Jesus did and you want to, you want to give in, but you're fighting back with everything that you have, it is a trial. It is a, an experience, a period of intense hardship that you're going through. It's important. Important. <laughs> very important. Very, very, very important. All right. I'm, I'm, this is great today. All right. So Ephesians 6.13 says this. When the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Now listen. One of Satan's schemes that the Apostle Paul is trying to get us to understand is Satan will try to lull us into thinking that we're not at war right now. He will lull us into thinking that we're at peacetime, that everything is good. I'm trying to get my life all sort of balanced. Trying to get my life organized and stress-free, and I want to eliminate any problems and any pain. Listen, no one's talking that way in Fallujah. No one's talking that way in Afghanistan when you're fighting back against the Taliban. No one's thinking that. They're like, it's, it's fight or be killed. And that's the way it is for those of us who are Christians. The moment you become a Christian is the moment you put a target on your back. Satan's not going after you if you're not a Christian. You're already on his team. The moment you become a Christian, you get a target on your back, and there is a stratagem that is put in place to eventually, for you and your kids, for the day of evil when it comes. So the point is, is that there isn't this constant pressure to do wrong, this constant putting us in situations where we're going through hardship. He'll, he'll hit us, and then he'll come back. He'll hit us and come back. He'll get us to the point where we think everything's fine, and then bam, come back and hit us again. This is why the Apostle Peter says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. I see this often with parents. Things will be fine at home. Kids are doing well in school. They seem to be out of trouble, and communication seems to be going well, and then there's discipline. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, something happens with one of the kids. And you're like, where did that come from? Well, what you're going through is the day of evil. And this is not something that just happened today. This has been years in the making. And oftentimes what will happen is we'll be utterly unprepared for when this happens. 2016, for instance, great year for me. Great year for me. Great year for our family. 2017 came along, and it was like, bam, bam, bam. One thing after another it was terrible. And to be honest, I was completely unprepared for it. And I kept looking for a human explanation as to why I was going through these things. I'll fix this. I'll do that. This will make it better. What I didn't realize is I needed to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and to put on the full armor of God so that I could take my stand against the devil's schemes because the struggle that I was going through it was not against flesh and blood. 
I wasn't going to get some psychological insight, some emotional insight in how I could handle this. There wasn't going to be some marshalling of resources or people or strategy. It was a spiritual problem. And some of you are going through this right now, or you will be going through this when the day of evil comes for you. The question is whether or not you will be prepared. The Bible talks about the armor of God, which we are going to talk about that next week. And so let me just say a couple things. One is, the day of evil is coming for you and your family. It's coming. You have to be ready for battle. You have to prepare yourself. I am at war. The moment I let my guard down is the moment that there is sense and opportunity, and then bam, I get hit. Okay? Now, that may not be what you were sold when you became a Christian, that you were sold this idea of, wait a minute, everything is going to be, honestly, it's going to be like I'm sipping a Corona at the beach in Cozumel. Like, I thought this was what Christianity was all about. Like, it's going to be, I'm going to experience the good life. I don't know. You're going into battle. Fortunately for everyone here, I actually found a picture of Satan so that you'll know what he looks like. I sense the skepticism. I found a picture of Satan. Here he is, right here. There he is. Yeah, yes. Spotted lanternfly. Yeah, right there. You have those in your yard yet? Listen, those of you who are watching online, wherever you are in the country, listen. For those of you watching online, we're sending that guy to you as because you keep saying we don't have nice sports fans. So here we go. You get the spotted landing fly. This guy came over from China. They're saying anywhere from four to six years ago. They eat primarily an invasive tree species called the tree of heaven right here from China. If you have a tree that has these kind of branches in the yard, go follow the branches. Go look at the stock and you will see a bunch of these lantern flies that are there. Right now, if you have lantern flies, you have two choices. You can do nothing, and if you do nothing, next year you will be overrun at your picnics and your cookouts by thousands of these guys. Every single one of these lantern flies will hatch a hundred more just like them, which is just delightful. It's just delightful. Or you can choose to stand up and fight. You can cut all your tree of heaven trees down. You can um, apply the spray of dinotafuron on that tree. Use that as a bait tree, and you will control it. And I share this because CCV is the one-stop shop of goodness. <laughs> You're going to get your spiritual and horticultural needs met right here. That's right. All right. So here's the thing. The fact is the day of evil is coming and you need to be prepared for it. You're going to stand up and fight or you're going to spend the rest of your life with Satan's hand right around your throat. And no one wants to live like this. Here's the good thing. The promise of Scripture is while you and I are no match for Satan, Satan is no match for the God living inside of you. 1 John 4, 4 says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. When the Apostle Paul says, put on the full armor of God, it's so you can stand. And the image here, when he says to take your stand, is of a military, an ancient military combat, where they line up their forces and they go at each other. And the picture here of your feet 
being able to stand and then push back. And that is available to you. Because what Paul is saying is that there's no doctor's report that you're going to get that's bigger than the God living inside of you. There's no problem you're going to have with one of your kids or your grandkids or your spouse that's bigger than the God living inside of you. There's no problem at work that is bigger than the God living inside of you. No temptation, no addiction, no fear, no struggle, no trial that is bigger than the God living inside of you. Let's pray. God, help us to understand that we are at spiritual war. Help us to put on the full armor. And help us to be victorious. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.